A question has been offered this evening for our shared contemplation, which says, to be here in the present right now, we must let go of feelings of regret for past behavior and thinking. How can we do this? There are many layers of regret that come back endlessly. Could you offer some advice on this aspect as it affects my daily practice currently so much? Regret is a very normal human condition, remorse, and, uh, when, say when rather than if, because uh, we all make mistakes, we all do things that we regret, and, and the appropriate response when we see that we've missed the mark, we We've um, followed some impulse, that, uh, some unwholesome impulse of mind and, and uh, has led to uh, hurt, increased suffering on some level. And when we see we've done this or we remember we've done this, then, then regret and remorse are very suitable. These are like, these are like messages that... We we receive or we experience. Yeah. Now, uh, probably all of us know the condition of uh, autism. Uh, people don't have sufficient psychological skills for development, whereby they simply don't have such feelings and, and uh, or other uh, forms of mental disability. Uh, uh, human beings can can perform acts that uh, are intended, uh, intentional acts that, that, that cause harm and suffering to others, and they don't feel remorse. So the Buddha uh, talked about this uh, state of mind that we, that we refer to as hiriyotapa, a very wholesome state of mind that uh, protects us from... Uh, Repeating unskillfulness. Uh, when you come in through the front door there, you'll, you'll see there's uh, these two dragons on the door handle there. One's Hiri and the other one's Otapa. And then you'll see on the other side there's a globe. And Hiri and Otapa, these dragons, are uh, Lokapala in Buddhist speak, uh, protectors of the world. That uh, the Buddha referred to these states of mind of Hiri, a sense of conscience or uh, a sense of integrity, uh, or sometimes referred to as a sense of shame, um, 
and otapai, which is, is described as a fear of blame, which is you, when you, you think of the mistakes you've made in the past, it's not just what, what we think of it ourselves, it's what, what will other people think of me if they find out. Now, because this uh, wholesome tendency in, in our hearts and minds, uh, because of <coughs> little distortions, disfigurements in our cultural conditioning, uh, have been uh, seriously exaggerated and, and become misplaced as neurotic guilt, then it is quite difficult for us to get a, a clear reading on the wholesomeness of uh, Hiriyotapa. You know, if you, uh, if you, you suffer from a, a good dose of guilt, and uh, you can see how inappropriate this uh, feeling guilty is. It's like you're hurting yourself, hating yourself you know, all the time. You make mistakes. We all make mistakes. Can't be avoided. And, you know, completely. Nobody gets through life. Nobody's born without making mistakes and learning the difficult lessons of life. And, and so then we see, on top of that, we then hate ourselves for having made these mistakes and we feel virtuous for hating ourselves. And we have a very uh, sad state of affairs, we're kind of getting off on hating ourselves. And so if you see how neurotic, how inappropriate and this uh, bit of conditioning is, you're just not going to buy into it. And so we, we try various antics, uh, various ways of distancing ourselves or removing or getting rid of the sense of neurotic or compulsive guilt. But in the process, uh, we, can, uh, we can also cut ourselves off from a, a wholesome sense of, of remorse or a wholesome sense of shame. And, uh, and I'm speaking from experience here. <laughs> you end up doing shameless things. In your, in your adolescence, I've got to deal with this, this guilt uh, process that I picked up. So it's like a disease, you know, you've got to get rid of it. So you try some heavy medicine. And so you go to the other extreme and start behaving shamelessly and uh, trying to not have to feel bad about it. And, um, well, then after a while you think, well, actually, no, it's a bit much. I <laughs> can't help but feel bad about those things. So better stop doing them. Well, if we're lucky, we, uh, we, we do start to uh, bring mindfulness to bear on this process, and instead of just simply taking a position for or against ourselves, or in this case, for or against this particular pattern of conditioning, of feeling guilty about having done things that are unwholesome, unskillful, instead of taking a position for it and indulging in it and saying, yes, I'm really bad, I'm evil, I, deter- I deserve to suffer for eternity, or taking a position against it, and try to get rid of it and, and, and you know, just cut it off. We, just, we, we learn to abide with awareness, with mindfulness, here and now, in the moment. It's watchfulness that observes the conditioning, the conditioned reactions. Now, of course, you know, we re- we're going to remember things that we've done. You know, you know, probably most of us did things to our parents that we wish we didn't do. You know, this is one obvious example, and lack of gratitude and, and uh, even spitefulness and meanness. And, and, and you, so you think of that. Well, we know we made a mistake, and, and the sense of shame comes up, and that heat rush, that fear, feeling we regret it, we wish we didn't do it, that's right. That's what memory does. But if we're anchored in the here and now, here and now, then we know that's gone. That's gone, that's finished. The past is gone. The past is gone, the future's not yet come. The past is dead, the future's not yet born. 
So if we really established an awareness here and now, then we say, that's gone. So the, the shame, the pain, the remorse comes up. We allow it to come up, but with mindfulness, whole body mind mindfulness, yeah, we're feeling the whole body, which means that we're not just, we're less likely to get pulled into this sense of shame or remorse or regret and, and grasp it and then become it. That's where the complexity comes from. That's where the complex comes from. That's how the complex gets created in the mind. Yeah. Yeah. The impulse is wholesome. It's supposed to be there. We, we, we acted in a way that's unskillful, caused harm to some living being, ourselves or others. Out comes a sense of remorse. It's appropriate. And then we let it go. And we've learned our lesson. But if we don't have our whole body mind here and now, quality of awareness, then the tendency is this pain comes up and we resist it in some way. I don't want it. I shouldn't be feeling guilty or they deserved it. Or we, If we resist the energy, the passion starts coming up into our hearts and become more intense and then goes into our heads and, and starts creating stories. Yeah, all the stories about, about who's to blame for what happened or you know, how we justified or you know, we're so bad, we, you know, we deserve to suffer for eternity and these various stories are lost in the past and lost in the future. We're lost in the drama of samsara, but we created it. This is uh, not a, a permanent reality. This is, a, this is a, a condition, an apparent reality that we've created out of our habit of grasping, lack of mindfulness, lack of presence, lack of establishment here and now in the whole body-mind staying in the middle. Uh, if we haven't got that in place, well then, yes, that tendency of remorse, regret, can really feel like me. But, as we at least know in theory, and we're hopefully continually investigating, this me is not the way it appears to be. You know, this me is just like a, it's like a rainbow. You know, nobody, None of us here go running after rainbows anymore. We know it's a refraction of light. Yeah, it looks very beautiful. It looks like something. Yeah. Or a mirage, or you cross the desert. You know, a mirage is against the refraction of light. It looks like water. It looks like a lake. But we don't behave towards it as if it was water because we know there's a chance that that's just an apparent reality. And so there's me, that I am guilty, I am bad, I have failed, I deserve to suffer, or I always will suffer, all of this. Yeah, it really does feel that way. You, mirage really does look like water. It really does. But there's the understanding through education that, that, that knows oh, that's not water. Yeah? Or at least we suspect, and so that tempers our behavior, our relationship towards it, so we're not driven to behaving in ways that increase our own suffering. And so likewise, we're feeling remorse and regret. Yeah. We can't get rid of the past or the memories. The past has already got rid of. The past has already gone. The past is like everything that's happened in the past is like the trees. The leaves and the tree are there now. The, you know, the, the few months' time, they'll fall. And that's it. When those leaves fall, they don't go back up again. And once those leaves have fallen, that's it. They're dead. They're gone. Uh, they can be transformed and then the nourishment goes back up in the tree and you it in a totally different form. And likewise, our memories, yeah, they have, they, they're not, the memory is not the same reality as that which you remember. 
something happened, maybe maybe we weren't there for a loved one at a time when they were suffering, or maybe even somebody died and we weren't there for them at the time. We can't change that. That's happened, that's gone. The memory that we have is a totally different reality. It's happening on a different frequency. It's not somebody dying. It's not our not being there. That's, that's a different reality. It's helpful to understand these different realities. You know, when somebody's dying, flesh and blood, you know, that reaction is taking place on a certain frequency, a certain dimension. The memory of that, that memory is a completely different reality. It's helpful to notice that because we're not dealing with somebody dying or our not being there. We can't deal with that because that's gone or whatever it is that we remember. What we're dealing with, we have complete authority over. It's our own mind. When I say we have complete authority, I guess I'm talking in terms of potential. And nobody else ultimately has authority over our mind. We potentially have complete authority over our mind. We don't necessarily have complete control over our mind because of, what well, lack of training. Yeah, we haven't, we've come so far in our training, but we haven't gone far enough to inhibit the tendency to cling and grasp when feelings arise and we lose the here and now, whole body, mind, judgment-free awareness and we get caught up in the stories. Now, I'm running through this. This is not kind of a formula or something to believe in or necessarily going to fix us, but this, this kind of contemplation, if we can engage this kind of contemplation when we're suffering, well, we can start to get a handle on it. And say, a sense of remorse for having made mistakes is appropriate. Yes. That's how we learn. You, know, you stub your toe, the pain in your toe is an organismic message that says, bring attention here because there's some damage. And you want to pay attention to it. If you don't, you get infected. Well, likewise, when the heart becomes possessed by an unwholesome intention and we act on it, and then there will be suffering, and then there's pain comes, and that message is saying, pain is saying, bring attention here. You know, because you know, there's a risk of infection. Yeah. If we don't follow that pain, if we don't get that message, if we're not mindful of dukkha, as the Buddha said, well, then we're not going to be mindful of the cause of dukkha, which is ignorance, essentially. And then we haven't got a chance of seeing the freedom from dukkha. And so there is a risk we'll get more infected. And so there'll be more ignorance and more suffering. And so if we have that, we have that kind of sequence, that when we're suffering, there's not something going wrong. Or when there's pain, there's not something going wrong. If we resist the pain, and there's an indulgence or avoidance, well, we create suffering. But we're doing that. And we don't have to do that. Now, if we've done a long time, we might think, oh, I feel a blight. I just can't see how I can ever get out of this. It just seems like it's always going to be this way. Yeah, it can seem like it's always going to be this way. That's what a mirage looks like. It really seems like it's water. It really does. There's no denying it. But it's not water. And that feeling of guilt, or you know, what feels like permanent regret that keeps dragging us into the past and in the future, it can really does appear, can appear permanent. It really can appear that way. There's nothing wrong with the apparent reality. You know, the uh, apparent reality is the way it is, but that's not actuality. Yeah, and so to have this kind of contemplation can help just open the door a little bit 
And we can start to see how, whether it's compulsive guilt that we're suffering from, yeah, which is inappropriate, unhelpful, unnecessary. Yeah. And we can we see that, we can get a little handle on it. So it's just completely unjustified. So then what do we do? Well, one of the things that uh, we need to do is um, we do need uh, uh, to be also to appreciate the power of patience, the power of patient endurance. I don't know if I spoke about this recently. It's one of my favorite subjects. I probably did speak about it recently. And I was reminded of it very recently, just a few days ago. I was in Edinburgh. I was in Gianto, and I went to visit a very dear friend who is now in a, a terribly sad condition um, in, a, uh, in a retirement home. And she has uh, suffered a series of strokes and uh, probably a little Alzheimer's and hardening of the arteries as well. And this, uh, this person who uh, very, very, very highly regarded, very intelligent, well-published, well-respected, world-renowned author and a very capable lady uh, is now in this very uh, truly pathetic condition. Uh, just, the, just, just very sad to see. And uh, the, going into the play, the stink of urine and the smell of death is just you know, all around the person. And, and it was quite hard to be there, having known her for a long time and, and feeling love, friendship, and respect to see this sad condition. But as I was sitting there, I looked up on the wall, and there was a, a framed picture on the wall of a Chinese character which um, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but I think it was a character out of the I Ching. It might have been, uh, actually I won't say because I'm not sure which one it was. But anyway, it was, it was, it was, it was labelled as patience. And there was a commentary underneath it and various lines. But one of the lines said, Wait in the power of knowing what is possible. Now, sometimes we think of patience as, oh, it's the last resort if you're too pathetic to get your stuff together. Right? Yeah. I mean, the real, a real person just you know, fights and achieves and succeeds and does it. Yeah. That's what a real person does. Yeah. And patience, patient endurance, well, I don't know. When was the last time you ever heard somebody besides me? Mention the word patient endurance without, you know, somehow using it in the pejorative. Yeah. Oh, you just have to be patient and put up with it. You know, the guy, he's a, he's a, he's a creep anyway. You just have to be patient with him. Yeah. You know, all the children, oh, just be patient. They'll grow up. Yeah. Uh, but the way the Buddha talked about patience was it was a profound force. And, 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 and this, this little sentence and commenting on the I Ching about... Waiting, wait in the power of knowing what is possible. And so this is, it's quite different from bitter endurance where you just put up with something. It's a conscious choice. So here's a pattern of conditioning. If it's regret, remorse, and, uh, guilt. Here's a bit of conditioning that I've believed in for a long time. It's like water has flown down a certain channel for a long time. It's going to be hard to change that momentum. It's going to be difficult. Doesn't mean to say it's impossible. It's just going to be a challenge. You can't stop it straight away. You can't re- you know, there's a momentum there. And how are we going to redirect that energy? You know, the heart energy has gone down that thing. I am bad. I am guilty. I've done wrong. So, you know, what are we going to do about it? Give away our damaged 
kind of unhappy ego to some imagined external authority and, and hope that things are going to be better when we die. You know, I personally don't think it's a very good story. Don't advocate it at all. And the Buddha didn't either. And the Buddha says, no, he says, this apparently damaged, unhappy ego, he says, it's just, it's just a mirage. It's not the way it appears to be. Yeah, it really looks like water. We didn't say that. That was my metaphor. But the mirage really does look like water. But it's not. You know, this pain that we feel really can appear permanent, but it's not. And so we can sometimes just say, well, yeah, it's been this way for a long time, and I'm going to choose to endure it. Because we've seen every other little bit of conditioning has changed. Can you think of any bit of conditioning that you've ever experienced that's not come to an end? You know, at the very least, you get hungry and forget about it and go and eat. Yeah. Or go to sleep and then that bit of conditioning changes and passes away. And when it comes back next time, it's not the same thing. It's always different. It's always changing. Everything's always changing. Everything's always changing. And so this, even this patterned feeling of, you know, I am guilty or I've done bad or the remorse, and you know, weighs in the power of knowing what is possible. Okay, so maybe I can't see it pass away yet. It might be better to actually say, wait in the power of trusting in what is possible. Because we perhaps don't really fully know. I mean, if we really, really fully know the impermanence of all condition, well, we're in a different different plane. But we can have confidence. There's nothing, no conditioning we've ever experienced that's been permanent. And so even this, which appears so permanent, it will change, it will pass, and we can choose to wait. And so I'm labouring this point because it, it is profoundly important. It's a transformative power. You know, you can, when you, when you, and when you are suffering over something you've said or done or thought, if you choose to meet it like this, and, and you can, in a totally positive way, here and now, you say, may the pain of this action help me learn the lesson I need to learn. I choose to endure this as long as I need to endure it. Yeah. Not pretending, not making it up. We actually mean it. We can, if we want to. We can mean that. I'm really interested in getting it right. I don't want to go around hurting people. I don't want to create suffering for myself or anybody else or for the planet. I really don't want to. I know that's true. And so we can make up a prayer about it. Call it a prayer, call it a determination or whatever. And say that, say May this pain help me learn the lesson I need to learn so that I don't make this mistake again. I will endure it as long as I need to endure it until I learn the lesson. Now, when we say something like that, it takes a sting out of it. And you see, oh, it's transformative. Determination is transformative. Patience is transformative. It may have to wait a long time. depends on... We don't know, actually. Maybe not just this life we've invested in remorse and regret. Uh, lifetimes of having made mistakes. And, and uh, to cultivate this, what, what could be described as, as repentance, although that word might sound a little loaded for, for some of us, you know, if you can just feel for the spirit of that word, repentance, to actually acknowledge the faults we've made and say, yeah, I really, I really made a few mistakes in this life and, and in the past probably too and, and, but I know quite know now I'm very clear what my determination is yeah. 
I do not want to make mistakes by body, speech or mind. I do not want to follow unwholesome tendencies, the inclination to cause suffering for any living being, this one or any other living being, by way of body, speech or mind. I, can, I have very clear confidence I don't want to do that. And so we can bring it out, to bring it and speak it out. This is why in theistic religions, uh, prayer is, is so important, you know, because it's the heart speaking. Out of the depths I have called unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my, my prayer. Is that how it goes? Yeah, it's David, isn't it, in the Psalms? Out of the depths I have called unto thee, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Something like that. So symbolically, you know, to feel again for the spirit of that, that, you know, the heart wants to speak these things. There are these things. There are these aspirations within our hearts that are true, that are real. Find a way of giving them voice. Bow down in front of the shrine and and say these things, give voice to it. And in a way, that's what we do when we, at the end of the puja, we do the sharing of blessings, blessings through the goodness that arises from my practice. Yeah, may all beings be free. This is what we're saying. Yeah, so we can get a little creative with it. Yeah, you have this heartful wish to be free from, from regret for past mistakes, past behavior, body, speech, and mind. So we can give that voice. Now, when we don't have to be worried. We don't have to worry about, yeah, about um, believing in external forces that are going to come and take us over or, or whatever. And that's, that's that kind of conditioning. That's old stuff that might arise, but we just notice it and let it go. This is just giving voice to the heart. Yeah. We don't have to worry about if there's somebody listening. We're listening. Yeah, and our mind needs to know this. This is our true aspiration. And there's a strength in that, and in terms of, of being free from this kind of suffering, that kind of determination is very helpful. Patience, uh, and making determinations. And also, I would suggest, in the context of this, this uh, consideration, uh, uh, the use of ritual uh, is, is, is very, very helpful. And Buddhism, uh, at least speaking from the perspective of a Theravadan Buddhist, uh, is rich with uh, rituals that still for us are in the process of being translated into this context. And, and sometimes when we see them, we see uh, Asian people uh, engaging in their rituals and we perhaps don't understand what's going on, we might even you know, become dismissive, um, especially if we're new at the game and, and we think we're just going to, just, I just want the vipassana, just cut out the rubbish, you know, just give me the vipassana. Well, we could think that, but... Really, some of the uh, some of the apparent rubbish is uh, is rich. It's rich. It's like that that mud they dig up, and it's full of diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> you just see the mud, and you can get you know it can be quite messy, and it's quite hard work. But when you know how to sift through it, you find the diamonds. And so, the heart doesn't always understand linear logical language because we're so impressed with our linear logical capacities. We think that we should be able to solve all the problems by engaging that particular ability. You know, I, mean, I mean, look at what human beings can do with their linear logical brain. I mean, isn't it? I mean, this 3G iPhone that's out now, I mean, isn't that? That must be the epitome of human intelligence. That is such a, such a gorgeous thing. You know, uh, somebody showed me their, their iPhone. And, and yet there can be some very, very silly people with 3G iPhones. Not just silly, but unhappy. 
I mean, it's seriously unhappy. In fact, you know, maybe whoever invented 3G iPhones uh, may not necessarily be very contented, happy people. There's no guarantee we may have the most sophisticated, wonderful, linear, logical brain, but when it comes to remorse and regret for having made mistakes, it doesn't cut. And so, so sometimes uh, the heart uh, needs, needs the, the, another language, the language of symbol. Yeah. So rituals are, kind of, are, like, are like poetry. Yeah, the, the, we don't try and understand them. We engage them, we give ourselves into them, we, we can ask questions about them and, and, and ask, well, what's this all about? This is, uh, I wouldn't uh, want people to think that I'm encouraging blind uh, adherence to, to uh, rituals, and no, no harm in asking. But when it comes to doing the rituals, you know, I, I reckon the best thing is just to forget about you know, what we think of it and just do it. And so with regards to... Um, the feeling of remorse, and, and, and I know um, the uh, things that, for instance, the, the situation of, of, of past, uh, of loved ones passing away, and you'll see how um, sometimes people come to the monastery and, and will bring a meal and offer it to the monks, and, and after offering the, the food, then they, they pour the water and uh, in their minds, in their hearts, they make this determination. They say, may the goodness of this occasion, may this punya, be for the benefit of so-and-so. Now, if you think about it a lot, you think, you know, where have they been born anyway? And do they know what's going on? And can you really transfer merit? And, and I don't know what these things... Well, the Buddha did say that you could do it, but, you know, maybe the Buddha was just playing along with superstitious belief of the local people, and I don't know whether I really believe in that, and... And pouring water, I mean, what's the point of pouring water anyway? And, and you know, we can think a lot, a lot about these things. And, but, or you could say, well, I could, uh, I could write a check out and, and send it off to uh, Oxfam. That's much better because these monks, they look fairly fat anyway. And, um, and I don't see they do much work. They just, you know, seem to be, you know, all just pottering around most of the time. And, yeah. Well, you could do that as well. But... If we engage in the ritual, maybe we'll experience something different. Yeah. Maybe we'll experience something different. It's like with the bowing. You can't see the point in bowing, so you say, well, you know, maybe that person's just going to feed on me, giving them my power anyway, and, and you can start thinking about you know, religious abuse and, and so on, and, and not do the bowing. And I know myself, when I first joined the monastery and realized that I was expected to bow to other Westerners, I could bow to Asians, okay. Um, somehow I thought they were, you know, there was a possibility they might be holy. But for Westerners, I couldn't see that was possible. And, <laughs> and uh, I found it very difficult. And, and I noticed in the mind, although I didn't really believe in the stories I was creating, I noticed there was a tendency to try and somehow justify my resistance to bowing. But fortunately, Ajahn Shah wasn't impressed with any of our games or resistance or anything, it just says you do it or you don't, you don't stay here, that's all that's and you don't only bow three times, you bow six times because you're so conceited, you know, it's three times for normal people, it's six times for you, and so actually I found after a while, it was a, a very good feeling, and one, of the, one of the things that was immediately obvious was that I was free to be able to bow, yeah. to not be able to bow was actually quite painful, 
Well, what if anybody else made of my bowing to them, that was their business. But if I wasn't able to bow, there was a feeling of, of limitation I was experiencing. So that was one aspect. But then as the months and years went by, I discovered other things. You know, the, the way, the, 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 the beauty of, of being able to go through this traditional physical form that millions and millions of people have been doing and are still doing, to do this in, as a way of showing respect, to allow respect to be expressed physically it was a wonderful feeling it was a wonderful experience and so if one hadn't just given oneself into it uh, one probably wouldn't have gotten there well it's the same with, with various other rituals and, and so you'll see that places like this are, are built often by people who are wanting to make donations or make gifts and dedicate them to their deceased and, and it's a wonderful thing whenever they come here they'll come in I know the people who offered this shrine table up here and uh, people who offered that uh, Bodhi tree up there in the garden and, and uh, various other things around uh, the monastery. People who offer them come here and they see it and there's a, a, a wonderful feeling, a very healing feeling can arise. Now, healing is a very mysterious thing because it happens on many levels and it's not always lineal or logical. So I just allude to this dimension tonight. I'm not, uh, I don't want to... Uh, Go into it too much because it's, uh, yes, it's not, it's very mysterious really. But I would encourage anybody who's dealing with such things as, as, as long term remorse, regret, and guilt, uh, you know, think about inventing a ritual or engaging a traditional ritual uh, that, that, that speaks to the heart and doesn't let go of the lineal logical mind. We don't, you know, it doesn't cut that deep anyway. And then, of course, the last thing that is important to, to mention with regards to dealing with this is, is the power of, of uh, meditation itself, uh, to um, appreciate that a lot of the conditioning that we keep getting caught in um, only appears substantial because we don't have an accurate perspective on it. Yeah. And the encouragement in, in, in meditation practice is to engage our attention with the kind of skillfulness that means that Letting go happens. Mm. And when the letting go happens, then we know for ourselves. If mm, we have some cause for regret and, and we only try and deal with it on the level of thinking, yeah. or even if we you know, find a very good therapist who helps us deal with you know, the you know, opening up to and, 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 and receiving some of perhaps the, uh, the old hurt that uh, is causing this toxic reaction. Even if we, we do that, to still be identified with, to still believe in feelings, emotions, as if they're somehow ultimately important, and thoughts, as if somehow there's a, there's a solution in our thoughts, yeah. 
Whereas with meditation, what we're interested in is seeing the relativity of all thoughts and all feelings. There isn't any feeling worth having. There isn't any wonderful feeling. But because we usually identify with that feeling, we somehow think, well, there's got to be a really, really good feeling, some ultimate feeling. There's got to be an ultimate feeling or an ultimate idea if we're into our heads a lot, you know. Or if we're into our feelings, our emotions, you know, well, it's got to be an ultimate feeling that we can arrive at. We, maybe we think of enlightenment or liberation as some sort of ultimate idea or ultimate feeling that's going to make us feel ultimately good for the whole time. Well, that's not the way the Buddha taught it. It's actually, all thoughts, all feelings, all activity of the heart and mind is just that. It's activity. It's movement. And if we're identified with the movement as the movement, then there's no way we'll ever have peace. It's just not possible. We always feel unpeaceful because the movement is movement. But what is the stillness that that movement is arising and ceasing in? That's the question. Now, that's the kind of question that we investigate in meditation, and it is really worth uh, cultivating and, and, and working with. However, I, I have left that to last because I, I, I acknowledge that with a lot of emotions, a lot of <coughs> memories. Yeah. If we just think that meditation is going to do it, then we, we try and spiritualize ourselves out of our suffering. Yeah, we can, it, it can be like you know, driving too fast to the supermarket. You might be hungry, but if you drive too fast, you'll end up in the ditch. And, and so it doesn't matter how hungry you are. When you go to the supermarket, you should drive on the left-hand side of the road, and you shouldn't drive over 30 mile an hour when you're going through Belsay, especially if you've already got a few points on your license. <laughs> Actually, it doesn't matter how many points you've got on your license, you still shouldn't drive more than 30 miles an hour when you go through Belsay. You may be really, really hungry. That's got nothing to do with it. There is an appropriate speed to drive through Belsay. And what we're talking about also, there's an appropriate speed to drive down the hill. And things about five miles an hour. It's uh, very, very slow. And if we don't understand the appropriate speed, we'll actually increase the suffering. We might be really, really hungry, but that's not the point. I mean, we might really want to get over our suffering, we might really want to be free from remorse, regret, guilt. Of course we want to be free from it. But there's an appropriate speed, and sometimes uh, people try to get too spiritual too quick, and they try to, try to you know, obliterate their suffering with insights, and, and they go to meditation retreats, and and initiations and, and teachers and, and so on. And it's uh, what, what's classically these days referred to as, as spiritual bypassing. Yeah. Sometimes what's called for is actual a willingness to just accept it, to accept the pain, to contemplate it, as I start off by saying, and, 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 uh, and see where the resistance is. See, contemplate that the past is gone, the future has not yet come, here and now, allow the feeling to be there, and to cultivate a willingness to endure. A willingness to endure, and, and the determination. Uh, my determination is no matter what happens, I want to follow a path that does not increase suffering for any living being, yeah. and, and to, to endure it for as long as it takes. So thank you very much for your question. I hope these uh, contemplations have some support in your practice. Pandamiya Namakataya Sadhu Karamara Masay